Well, welcome in, everybody, on a sun-soaked Tuesday, the 19th of December. Chris Alberta filling in for the great Paul W., who called me yesterday to say, hey, go get him, Tiger, break a leg, all that um, kind of pseudo show business kind of stuff. Rieger, how's it going in there? You're sounding great. Everything's going well. All right. I promise not to hit any buttons on this remote box. We don't want to screw it up entirely. Guess what, buddy? I am 47 years old as of yesterday. Well, happy belated. Yay! Happy belated 47th. Yeah. You know, it's a little too late to shop, but I think that you guys are sincere. We got a great show. I mean, it, we're, we're pretty jammed up. We got a lot of guests today. We have some tomorrow. A couple topics I think will be really fun. We, we got to touch on the Trump lead just continuing to expand. A lot of headlines the last couple of days. I was, I was on some more this morning. And I mean, even in circles and, and demographics where he hasn't done well, it's starting to expand even more, not just within the GOP, but nationally. And there's a conversation to be had there about, is Biden losing this? Is he costing himself? Or is Trump just, the, the more they go after him, the better he does in avoiding the debates. And I don't know, man, we can have a great discussion about that. And we're going to get everybody involved. I'm going to throw out the phone number more times today than I have in the past. And did you see, by the way, our very own Detroit Lions ticket prices now jump this morning? I did see that. Uh, they are go- well, that, that was obviously going to happen. Team's doing well. They obviously are going to probably have to raise them a little bit for next year for season ticket holders. Yeah, I don't want to dwell on it because this is not a sports talk show. I think we do sports just just enough to give everybody a taste. But they've been underpriced for quite some time because they at least admit that the product has been lousy sure. at best. And now the product's really turned itself around. So if I'm a season ticket holder for many, many years and, and I have been enduring this really poor product with a whole lot of heartache there. I mean, if you got to drive down to Detroit, find a spot to park, pay for it, trudge yourself in there, watch them get their heads kicked in and go home and you do that seven, eight Sundays in your year. And now they're finally starting to give you a product that's worth rooting for. And you're excited getting that new invoice this morning must feel like a shot in the chest. Yeah. You know, I think that uh, people probably who are season ticket holders for a long time have probably expected that to come. So I don't know. Um, I talked to a friend of mine who's a season ticket holder with uh, seats at like the five yard line and uh, his ticket season ticket prices only went up about 80 bucks. So it wasn't that big of a hit, but maybe somebody yeah, else, and, you maybe know, diff- obviously different sections of the stadium. Obviously the, the pricing probably went uh, higher by percentage. Sure. Depending on, and how, I may be able on this. I, they got to raise prices to some degree. And you know what? The secondary market is so complex now that when you go on and you find something on a StubHub or Vivid or NFL Resale, like I know that the season ticket holders often don't plan to go to all the games. They just secure that seat so they have the right to go, the option to go. But when they resell those seats elsewhere, they have to sell them through the NFL app. Correct. So certainly right. the Lions know what kind of premium is being charged. And sure. they're thinking to themselves, as I would, hey, you know what, if 35% of these people are selling their tickets, why don't we just make the money instead of letting us be a wholesaler for you so you can sell them at a higher amount? Right. The Again, NFL obviously has it locked down pretty good. So they know exactly yeah. what it is that they, but you know, the, the, I contend that the line ever since even, you know, forever, you know, back in the day, if you remember the Silver Dome and the blackout rules, and you had to sell out to get on local TV, yeah, and the whole and the whole it was big, it was a whole bunch of nonsense. Well, those rules have been are gone, and and Ford Field it's sold out every game, no matter even if they're horrible or if they're playing great like they are right now. So, you know what? I tell you, you the know, one thing I would like to have seen them do purely from a PR standpoint, if nothing else, because in the short term it might be a loss, but I think in the long term you gain a lot of equity with with your Detroiters and your, and your Michiganders, they should have implemented some kind of loyalty program where if you've had these seats for a certain number of years, your, your increase was limited to some, maybe that it plays an yeah. element in it. We just don't know. But That's I mean, some point. of these people, if you've had those seats for 20 years, you shouldn't have to pay, you know, 80% more right. or something. It's a good uh, we're going to have at 1248, we're going to have Evan Brown on Fox news correspondent. Who's got a really interesting story on the, the childhood obesity crisis. And and that's not a new conversation, right? I mean, we've been, you know, late forties, early fifties for you and I, we look back at, you know, the the Kate Moss type era where everyone was glorifying the overly skinny, dangerously skinny people. And that became, you know, a conversation that went on for years. Like, why are we 
setting a standard that is almost unattainable for most normal people. And I think soci sociologically, we've done a good job with that, backing off that. But now, in many ways, this kind of obesity acceptance, the social media push towards, you know, quote unquote, fat acceptance, combined with the massive amounts of marketing dollars from the big food processors, is is starting a whole new line of crises, not to mention diabetes and everything else. I read the other day, Dave and Danielle, that the average eight-year-old has consumed more sugar by their eighth birthday than people in the 1940s did in their lifetime. Really? I would believe that, actually. I mean, it really is. If you think about the processing of food in general, I mean, from, you know, sliced loaves of bread, for example, and canned soup and everything, all the sodium, all the sugar, everything they needed to do to preserve it and, you know, kick the flavors up to create that kind of addictive you know, you, nature. You talk about the, um, the uh, you know, hard to attain the certain weight or the certain look. Um, I have an issue with the, the body mass index chart that you see when you go into the doctor's office all sure. the time, the BM. I think that you want to talk about impossible to attain. Even yeah. if you're in great shape, your BMI is too high. Like there's no, yeah. like, like I don't get that chart. And I wonder, yeah, you, that's a I, good point. You're and right I wonder how much, I wonder how much that chart plays in this uh, study that Evan's going to talk about with you. Well, I think that there's probably some, some gray area and room for interpretation, right? When you deal with athletic people, for example, who tend to be taller and more muscular, sometimes the muscle weighs quite a bit more statically than, than fat right. cells do. You say, geez, you know, I'm, I personally, not that I want to get into my personal stuff, but I'm like almost 6'1", about 190 pounds. I am on the obese side on that chart. But I'm, yes. not, I'm not really obese. I'm just kind of yeah. a big dude. But, according, but according, life, to the right? BM, according to that BMI chart, you are. Well, you do and, see and kids. That's what you know, I'm went, talking about. It's 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 a little bit um, misleading. Yeah, but this is this is a, a a problem that we continue to defer. So when we talk about longevity scales and, and really the next sliding apocalypse for health, really it's it's pre and 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 during diabetes cycles, which leads to all kinds of other things. And I think we all sometimes have that pang of sadness when you see a child, you know, eight or ten year old who's really really obese. We all think to ourselves, not in a non-judgmental way, like, wow, that's unfortunate. That's not going to end well if somebody doesn't turn that around. So I, maybe maybe the content is slightly different than what I'm expecting, but it'll be fun to check in with, with Evan and see. And Marie's got an interesting story about the Pope and some of the things out of the Catholic Church. And maybe we can talk a little bit of Pistons, as depressing as that is. They lost their 24th straight oh. game last night. Oh, man. And, and, with, I mean, and, with, and with Kate Cunningham having 43 points. And yeah, we gotta, and they, and they gotta restore lost. some pride. I mean, lost. sports is not nearly as important as we make it out to be. Sometimes I could never be a sports radio host because there's more to life than talking about that and getting all upset for, for two or three hours every day. But this right. is not a good, this is not a good thing for that program. And it's definitely not good for the city. I didn't like the move back to Detroit in the first place, but we'll get into that a little bit later. We have a fun, fun day ahead. It's and we want to open up the phone be, lines. It's going to be a packed show. Right. 800-859-0957. Anything you want to chip in out there by text, call in. We'll open up the mics and have a heck of a good time. All right. We'll be back in just a brief few minutes with a really fun interview. All right. We are off to the races here in the 12 o'clock focus hour. And there's an interesting story here. Pope Francis has made a decision that in keeping his efforts to make the church more welcoming to the LGBTQ community in the Catholic Church, the Pope says priests will now be allowed to bless couples in same-sex relationships. This is a big departure from the past. WJR senior news analyst Marie Osborne has more on what this will mean. And good afternoon. Although this is being called a real development, it is important to note something, that the traditional doctrine about marriage, that is the union between a man and a woman, hasn't changed in the Catholic Church. This move does not amend traditional doctrine of the church because it doesn't involve a liturgical rite like the sacrament of marriage does. Priests, though, have long been able to bless people for a variety of reasons, but the church has said it could not provide that blessing to same-sex couples because it would undermine church doctrine on marriage. Well, now that has changed. This new document stresses that these blessings must be non-liturgical in nature, should not be confirmed at the same time as a civil union, using set rituals or even the clothing and gestures that belong in a wedding. Those cannot be done. However, the blessing can be given. 
the document stressed that people in, quote, irregular unions of extramarital sex, we're talking gay or straight, are in a state of sin, but they should not be deprived of God's love and mercy. The Vatican holds that marriage is an indissolvable union between a man and a woman, and as a result, it has long opposed same-sex marriage. Now, you might remember that in 2021, the Vatican's Congregation for Doctrine of the Faith said flat out that the church could not bless these unions because God, quote, cannot bless sin. So this is a change on the stand on blessings for same-sex couples, and it's a clear softening on that stand. Hmm. Marie, as a practicing Catholic, what was your impression when you, when you first read this story? What was your first reaction? Well, this has been a long time coming. They've often asked Pope Francis about uh, his thoughts and feelings about this. Um, he's uh, He's been just asked many, many times about this. I also think that this was a fairly easy thing to do because it did not involve changing, uh, again, any liturgical rite or any of the sacraments or any doctrine. It didn't involve anything like that, which would take years, frankly, to do anything like that. This was just offering a blessing to a couple. And as I said in the story, people can give blessings from a Catholic priest for any number of reasons. You can bless your grandchildren. Um, th there's all kinds of reasons you can have a blessing asked for. So I think this was an easy do. As someone who's not, has never really been around a tremendous amount of Catholicism, is a, is a blessing request kind of a formality? If I, if I were to say I'm going to be taking this trip, let's say, to the Middle East or something like that, do I send an email or go in and make a request and say I'd like to have the priest bless my trip? You could do that. I mean, you could ask, you know, even after Mass or, uh, yes, you could show up at the rectory and ask, hey, you know, I'd like a blessing for this reason. And generally speaking, as far as I know, these requests are uh, granted. They're, they are granted out of, again, this theme of God's love sh should not be deprived. Uh, no one should be deprived of God's love or mercy. That theme is very important. Yeah. Well, far be it for me to be um, overly sanctimonious, especially on the radio. And, and certainly we, we look at some of these conversations and say, well, certain portions uh, of the religious right grab this and say this is a huge deviation um, from what we've been trying to accomplish. But in reality, what I hear you saying is that the conversation is more about the Pope agreeing to bless the sinner, not to condone the sin. Mm -hmm. Is exactly. that essentially what it boils yeah, down exactly. to, right? I mean, exactly, exactly. And and you're not, again, providing a sacrament or uh, any kind of right uh, in this case. You're just asking for a blessing. Yeah, that's but an interesting conversation. But it's important to a lot of couples. It's important to a lot of same-sex couples, so... Um, this this will be, um, I'm sure this will be debated also for a long time to come, but I know that yeah. there have been people who've waited for this. Well, we've seen that in the, in the Christian community too. And you know, this is often a conversation that I've had at home with some of my friends, having a dad who was an evangelical minister. There certainly is a, a fairly stark line between Catholicism mm -hmm. and Christianity that most people just muddle together. Right? And the reality is they say, well, you believe in God is kind of the same thing, but there's some pretty stark contrast between the two, but we have seen many of the different um, denominations of the church very much splintered on that exact issue. I mean, there certainly is churches that are very pro-LBGTQ and have fought back against the teachings of the Bible in the sense that they say it doesn't, biblically, this is less relevant now than it was back then, and they're trying to, it's a sign of the times, and they want to be more inclusive, and that has driven um, the other factions of the church farther in the other direction where they say we need to take a stand against this. That's a fascinating environment anyway, especially in the political environment that we're in where so much is tied to the religious right, especially. Right. And if you look at what's happening uh, in, notably in the Episcopal Church, where this particular issue has really, really caused big, deep divisions within the church. Um, it's interesting to see. We'll see if this leads to anything else or if this is just going to stand as is and go forward. It'll, it'll, it, that's yet to be determined. Sure. Well, thanks for the story, Marie. It's an interesting one. We'll keep tabs yes. on it to a degree. Um, Dave, I, when you think of, of how long ago it was when we started having the conversation about same-sex marriage and that was a political football that was kind of beat back and forth, 
a great many of the politicians were reticent to jump on board with same-sex marriage, but now it seems as socially everything's pushed more kind of center left with those issues because they're so hot button. Oh, when was the when was the tipping point? Yeah, that was a while ago. It's been like that for a while now, um, at least probably a decade, I would guess. What was the last president that we had in the United States that was not for same-sex marriage? Oh, good question. It's like the trivia question of the day. That is a great question. Yeah, I'd like to get people's thoughts on that, too. I got 800-859-0957. Is this really an issue anymore? Does anybody care if there's same-sex marriage? On the legal side, it becomes a civil rights issue, certainly not a human rights issue. But then there's the issue of the morality of it. But certainly uh, there's plenty of immorality to go around, especially if you watch any of the of the social media things that I've been shown lately. And you say, geez, how is that appropriate at all? Quite the environment. Yeah, I think it's too, you know, it's a just um, it's not a I don't think it's an issue anymore. I think that it's just that's what it is. And um, it's not anything like hot button like it used to be. Yeah, and it certainly could be, as many people have pointed out recently, especially after Roe v. Wade now getting struck down in, in the current environment, many of these are states' rights issues, and you can vote with your feet. Uh, Nikki Haley said something to that degree in, in one of the debates, I think a couple debates ago, and said, look, I'm not going to get into pro-life versus pro-choice because it's not, my, it's not an issue for me as a, as a potential president. This is a state's rights issue. I don't agree with it. I don't believe in it. I wouldn't have an abortion, but it's not for me to decide. Right? If there's certain states you can get married as a man and a man or a woman and a woman, go move there if you want to do that, I suppose, and let the people decide. That's what a, a functioning republic is supposed to look like. Yeah. All right. We'll be back with calls and texts again, 800-859-0957. And is that an issue that makes any difference to anybody anymore? I'd like to know. Well, I told you, Rieger, we're going to throw out the number a lot today and try and get the whole community involved. Marie just brought us an interesting story about the Pope um, and the Vatican blessing folks involved in same-sex relationships. And I don't know what you think about that, but we got a, we got some callers. So let's have a, a little bit of fun with it, learn from one another in the most respectful way possible. Let's go out to the phones. August in Milford. What say you, August? Hey, guys. Great show as always. I say, you know, who am I to judge? If somebody, you love them and you acknowledge it. And as long as you treat each other that way, what, what am, who am I to complain about it? Love is August, love. Do you think that in in today's environment, that's an interesting observation. Do you think in today's environment, people are are really vocal about complaining uh, in terms of same-sex marriage? Is that something you normally hear? Is it, does it seem decades ago now? I don't hear it as much as I used to. Yeah. I I think people are more accepting now, which is good. You know, I mean, again, I really say, as long as you treat people good, you respect them, you honor them. That's what a relationship's all about. You trust them. And if that works, then no matter what, I don't care what religion you are, what sex you are, what color you are. If it works for you, who am I to say no? Sure. And, and normal, as a, as a term that is hardly used anymore because it can, it can be deemed offensive, has shifted. The, the line for what is normal versus abnormal or a majority versus a minority continues to move. We can certainly look across this digital landscape and see that the transgender and trans movement has really taken a lot of the emphasis away from the gay and lesbian community that for years and years and years struggled to kind of have their voices be heard. And that is clearly a majority relative uh, to the trans community. So it is a little bit odd. We don't talk about it as much anymore. No one seems to really care. Those laws for same-sex marriage have been in place for quite, quite some time. I can't remember the last time that was on a ballot. Let's go out to our buddy Rod in Plymouth. Hey, Rod. You know, I understand judge not let thee be judged, but I also feel I'm being misled by the Pope. You know, a blessing should not be of a sinner. Uh, you, you don't bless the sin. You bless the sinner if he shows or they show repentance of their sins. You just don't bless the continuance of the sin. It's not who am I to judge. It's who is God to judge? You know, there's a set of laws and rules, and, and if you've been taught by your pope in the Vatican to believe a certain way, why are you not continuing that belief? Man does not change God's laws, no matter what we think, understand, or what the norm is. You say you're not a Catholic. I am, so I can say I'm being misled. As evangelical, 
I'm sure as a Protestant, you have similar beliefs that God's word is is uh, set in stone, literally. Yeah, Rod, that's an interesting take, and it's. I I will say that on the whole, I agree with you. I, my my job is not to be a judge, although I think in, in in the depths of Christianity, for people who are born again Christians specifically, they are often called to judge, at least internally. They're 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 taught to identify something that is against biblical principle and say this is not something that I approve of. Whether or not they vocalize that is up to them. We we just saw recently again the Supreme Court upheld the. The, the case where the cake maker, I think it was in Massachusetts, refused to make a wedding cake. And this is a very famous, well-known cake maker for a same-sex couple. And, of course, they sued him. And this went all the way to the top. And he said, look, this is my artwork. It's my expression. And I refuse to let my expression and my expertise be showcased for a marriage that I think is against biblical principle because it violates my own right to believe. You know, oftentimes our freedoms conflict with the freedom of being free from other people's decisions. The interesting part of the conversation, Rod, that you're bringing up is at what point do you decide what the threshold is for sin? Because if you're a Christian or a Catholic, you have to believe to a large degree that we are all sinners and have fallen short of the glory of God. So on one hand, I can say, is, it, is murder a greater sin than uh, stealing a candy bar? Certainly it is. But are they both sins? Yes. So the key word that you use is repentance. I can think that, I listen, I don't think that it is, it is morally correct to be in a same-sex marriage. But I also don't think it's morally correct to have an affair outside of marriage or premarital sex, for example. Those are all sinners, and no one is, is telling the Catholic Church that they are, should be forbidden from blessing this person. So it is an interesting conversation in that sense. David in Detroit, what's going on, David? You know, Chris, great topic. Uh, it, it really uh, hit me when I heard this, but it didn't hit me in a negative way. It just reaffirmed what I always knew, that the Catholic Church uh, itself has fallen away from God's word, and, and it never really was completely with God's word. Um, you know, they edify people as saints. Uh, they they erect uh, idols and, and practice idolatry, and so they're really not Paul's first church uh, when Jesus sent out his apostles to establish his word across the, the, the different lands. It's Constantine's church that combated uh, Paul's first church, and so it, it's a state-run, it's a state-organized religion. They're, they're not, I would say, in line with God's Word. And if you read the Bible, it says one thing. And when you look at what Roman Catholics do, and, and, and some other religions as well, um, it's, it's quite different. So while they're free to do this, so be it. Um, but it just even reaffirms my position that uh, if you're looking for answers and you're looking for God, you don't go through the Roman Catholic Church. You go to the Bible. The salvation is at the cross. Well, David, well said. I, this is a, it's an interesting topic for me to, to put my toes into because I, I know far more than the average bear, but I certainly am not in a, in a moral position um, to, to say what I, I believe behind a microphone because I'm still, to a degree, learning my own beliefs. And, and I, hypocrisy to me is the greatest sin of all. I think the fascination there for people who don't really understand it is that Catholicism and Christianity, there is a chasm of fundamental belief between the two that a lot of people really can't figure out how to rectify those two things. Um, you know, being saved as a Christian means that I am admitting I'm a sinner and I'm repentant and I'm trying, I'm striving for this and I'm saved by grace, not because of the actions. And th I think that's where a lot of people get really muddy on this topic. If they're standing on the outside looking in, they say, well, who are you to judge? But oftentimes you're, you're called to judge to some degree. That's a, it's a it, bigger topic than I thought it was. Apparently it's still on everybody's minds. Brad in Rochester Hills. Hey, Brad. Yeah, thanks for filling in for Paul W. The comment on uh, Pope Francis and the direction he's taking the Catholic Church, I think it's ridiculous how he's uh, changing uh, uh, the entire concept of what um, marriage ought to be and traditionally, which is between one man and one woman. As a single bachelor that has no intentions of getting married, I think man, we should still stick to the traditional values of um, the overall Christianity, Catholic, Protestant, Orthodox, uh, whatever, because uh, what uh, the alternative uh, lifestyle that the world is uh, teaching just uh, doesn't uh, line up with biblical values. And I might be one of only a very few uh, Catholic Christians that dare to read their Bible every so often, uh, even though I haven't been reading it like I used yeah. to, I still stick with uh, traditional values and what the Bible teaches about oh. all things. 
Well, Brad, thanks for the call. This is a, it's a touchy topic. And just as a reminder, as, as Marie pointed out, that this was not a, a condoning of the behavior or an official statement that the same-sex marriage is now approved by the church. It was, it was only a formal blessing of the person themselves. So interesting topic. We'll be back in just a little bit with Evan Brown. Well, I certainly don't want to continue to hit uh, the touchiest of touchy topics, and, and we just got off a pretty hot discussion about uh, same-sex marriage and, and the Vatican's kind of newfound approach on this. And we're going to bounce back to the conversation we had about obesity, and certainly in an environment where we're trying harder than ever not to, to judge one another and you know, tie any uh, a merit to someone's personal physique. We have seen trends going in all directions that are concerning, especially when it comes to obesity and diabetes. So we have uh, several stories, but one in particular that just hit the news recently in the AP. And Evan Brown, Fox News correspondent and WGR contributor, is here to shed some light on this story. Evan, this was uh, essentially focused on the severe uptick in childhood obesity that's being discovered recently. Tell us the whole story. Well, not just uh, childhood obesity, but specifically toddler obesity. We're talking about children between the ages of two and four. Uh, and this is data compiled from the Women's Infants and Children's Program, which is the federal end of the, of the food stamps uh, program. Okay. Uh, and it, uh, it is, uh, with the number crunches, have said that uh, overall there has been a 2% spike in the number of toddlers who are obese between the ages of two and four. Uh, that is a, a reverse of a trend in seeing that number go down over the past decade or so. Uh, and it is alarming uh, because children who become obese that early in life have a very difficult time shaking that. Uh, in fact, of three-year-olds who are obese, 90% of them will remain obese well into their adolescence. Uh, and with that comes early onset disease that is normally associated with obesity. We're talking about high blood pressure, diabetes, other chronic conditions, infl inflammatory conditions, um, things that maybe most people might be taking seriously and medication for when they get into middle ages, right, in their 50s and their 60s. Yeah. They're now having to be treated for it in their teenage years because they've spent their entire entire childhood obese. Um, and obesity, by the way, looks different for each and every person. Someone may not appear to be traditionally fat in the derogatory sense, but they are carrying extra weight above and beyond the size of their body. Uh, and through a, a computational uh, a device called the body mass index, they are too heavy. And that leads to things that uh, that leads to problems, again, with your heart uh, and your circulatory system, which affects everything else in your body mm -hmm. uh, and uh, and also inflammatory conditions and, and uh, endocrine uh, conditions such as diabetes. So um, uh, the, the warning here is to be mindful of what you're feeding your kids uh, and making sure they're getting activity. Um, you know, most two-year-olds you would think are pretty active, right? You know, they, they want to play around with things and whatnot, but is, you know, a good question to ask is your kids, does your young kid have too much screen time? Are they sitting in front sure. of a television or some kind of device for too long? And the next question, of course, is what are you feeding them? If it's a lot of um, prepackaged, uh, preserved, uh, processed foods, uh, you are likely not giving them the best nutrition they can get. Now, there Absolutely. there seems to be a problem tied to economics with this, and that ha that type of food is the least expensive when compared to uh, to fresh vegetables and fruits and grains and things like that. Yeah, Evan, in that that I was going to ask you that exact question in this report. Yeah. You mentioned something about the, the food stamp program, and I'm not sure what the correlation there is. Can you just touch on that real quick? Because I have a question on that on that note. Well, the, the, the data that is used to compute this came from th those families enrolled in the Women's Infants and Children Program, which is the federal end of, of what is what we okay. colloquially call, call food stamps. So, for instance, if you're not on any kind of government assistance need, you know, for being needy of food, chances are they're not going to have records of the time of, right, of your of health, right? Yeah, so, so that was uh, that's the essence of yeah. my question, is as we get in that in the sociological, socio-ecological spectrum where we're, we're looking at the economic differences between these folks, it's very likely that in this particular study, most of, of the very young children 
that were part of these reports end up on the economic spectrum that suggests that they are eating more processed things and cheaper and they have less resources. Is that a fact? That That is probably true. But in an era when inflation is very high and unemployment is stagnant and, and wages are stagnant and things like that, more and more people turn, more and more families turn to these types of um, of assistance programs where they uh, they are either given, depending on how the, the system works in, in the state or where they live, they're either given, you know, something in the form of a debit card with a fixed amount and you have to maximize, you know, and economize the type of food you get, um, or you're, you're, you are distributed food directly. Uh, and so that's, um, you know, that, that certainly plays into it. And as the, you know, the economy remains stagnant or perhaps gets worse, uh, more and more people will avail themselves of those types of assistance programs, right. putting more of those children on that type of food. I mean, yes, feeding your kid uh, uh, whole grains and, and fresh fruit and, and fresh vegetables and grass-fed uh, beef and, and poultry every day is a wonderful thing probably to do, but in, in it, it is expensive. Sure. It's more expensive than processed foods. Sure. Uh, that Doesn't has to do with a lot of I, yeah. I have a two-year-old, and that two-year-old runs around the house nonstop. So she's getting plenty of exercise, but she also eats a, a, a whole avocado every day. And I mean, when we were kids, not not only were avocados not nearly as popular when I was a kid, but they're enormously <laughs> expensive. Here, yeah. Right. I mean, look sure. at some of the things sure. that we buy and say, geez, how, did, how does a, a family that doesn't have a big budget go to the grocery store and fill up on really, really good things? There certainly is an economic aspect. Is there any any geographical aspect to this? Was it broken down at all like we see so many of these charts by, by state? I, I mean, I, I haven't seen one. If I wanted to spitball it, you can you can be assured that uh, rural, non-urban, uh, lower populated states with less economic opportunity are probably going to be more affected. Um, but you know, the, I, I once watched a film about obesity issues. It was, it was a documentary it came out probably more than 10 years ago at this point. I think, I think a lot of it still rings true. Um, they were demonstrating that a head of lettuce was more expensive than four dollar menu hamburgers at a, uh, we'll just say a popular fast sure. food restaurant. So, uh, a, a family that may be reliant on day labor for their earnings is more likely going to hit the drive through to fill up their kids' bellies than they are to go to a grocery store and try to buy fresh vegetables. Right. Um, that's, that's a policy issue and, and has yet to be resolved. Well, Evan, thanks for the update. That's a, is a scarier story than I thought. Two to four is awfully young. And I'd like to hear from you on this. We're going to get back into this topic just a touch anyway, as we roll into the one o'clock hour, because we, Rieger and I were talking prior to the show about the tremendous amount of, social media activity that has really been pushing towards the, if you will, the obesity epidemic in the sense that they are making this body positivity movement um, so ridiculous that now we're, we're starting to really praise the, the very, very heavy folks out. There's models that are like this and there's social media influencers that are uh, flaunting the fact that they're massively overweight as if this is a point of pride. And we have gone, I mean, an entire 180 from really pointing out that too skinny is too skinny, and that shouldn't be a model, to saying, this is unhealthy. Why, why in the world would we be embellishing this idea? So we'll get back into that with you. 800-859-0957 is the number. We'll be back after a quick break and some updates. Well, welcome back in. Rolling into the 1 o'clock hour, Evan Brown just filled us in on this, uh, on this infant, really, toddler obesity story that was a bit of a shock to hear, two to, two to four years old. Um, kids that are, are getting to levels of obesity that they probably will not be able to recover from is a scary thing to hear, especially when you get into the, the mortality um, part of the conversation, when we get into the overall obesity epidemic that we have as Americans, but really we're seeing worldwide. And Rieger and Danielle, I want to get you guys involved, and certainly the callers. Again, 800-859-0957. We have, as I mentioned earlier, come a long, long way from the 80s and 90s where most of the supermodels and, and the gals that were on the covers of magazines and the, and the males and the rock stars and everyone was just so rail thin and they looked like they were half dead oftentimes. And that was what was seen as beautiful, the Kate Moss types and the Axl Rose, the Guns N' Roses guy. And, and now, though, we've gone so far in the other direction with a lot of what this movement has done that it's encouraging obesity. And I've read a lot of fascinating pieces on this. Body positivity was really supposed to be a kind of the, the zingy, word 
or saying, I should feel proud of myself, no matter what shape or size I am, and certainly not look at others as less than or more than or greater than or, or uh, someone that I should look up to or idolize because of the shape of their body. And it was really not meant to be anything in terms of embracing or encouraging obesity. But now we're seeing, especially across social media platforms, a massive push towards this. Dave, have you seen any of this stuff? And Danielle, what are your thoughts as a, as a female? Has this gone too far? Uh, don't ask on, me. Be honest. No. I mean, we all, we all know people who are on the heavy side, but sometimes you see people who are dangerously heavy and they get worse every year. And you have to say to yourself, geez, that is, that's not healthy though. And, <laughs> and if you're watching social media channels and Instagram posts, basically lifting you up and saying, look, you're healthy, you're perfect just the way you are, but you're not perfect if you're killing yourself, which is what severe obesity is doing. It's killing people. I mean, yeah, duh. it is. Should we be upset that these massive food companies, the large companies, I won't say names, I've, I've seen reports about three, two of which are involved in lawsuits, are actually paying social media influencers that are on the very, very heavy side. They're doing ride-alongs and a day in the life of and what I eat all day, you know, starting with the three bowls of Fruit Loops and moving on to the candy bar with a two liter of Coca-Cola. Why is that okay? I don't know. Honestly, why are, we, why are we so focused on other people's weight and whatnot? Why don't we just like leave it alone? That's, uh, that's how I feel about it. I'm never going to come out and say, this is what I'm doing and this is whatever. No, it's it's a private matter between like you and yourself. I don't even think that stuff should be shown. Well, I guess I suppose that's an interesting take to a degree. But I mean, we've outlawed advertising, for example, cigarettes because they kill people, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, we're not going to ever out, outlaw Coca Cola and Doritos. No, but those are killing people. I mean, everything could kill people. Well, vitamin C could kill you if you take too much of exactly. it. But I mean, I think that there's a threshold here for everyone where we have to eventually say, look, enough is enough. We shouldn't be encouraging an unhealthy lifestyle of any kind. But this is kind of the hot topic of the day. I mean, you look at these children who are not going out and they're not buying their own food, right? They don't have the, the, the freedom of choice. They don't have the budget. They can't sit there and say, well, I should have whole grain toast and an avocado and a lean piece of fish or chicken. They don't have those options. So when they're eating Pop-Tarts and things like that, bags of chips and processed food and then later in life they find themselves their self-esteem is suffering and and then their health starts to suffer when you get into heart disease and diabetes issues in your in your teen years that's it gets to borderline irreversible territory from a longevity standpoint it's a it's a horrific problem and we sh- that's i think that one of the only areas where we have a right to be as a society somewhat judgmental and say look hey enough is enough i'm not going to tease you about this but i'd like to help you Back to the conversation, by the way, about the uh, the Pope. And this is one of those things that, you know, you bring up a topic sometimes that you don't think is really going to be a hot button issue, but everybody wants to get involved. Um, let's go back out to the phones. Mark out in Rochester Hills. What's going on, Mark? Thank you for taking my call. I appreciate that. Uh, you know what? I disagree with Pope, and I believe Pope should be focusing on issues, should be focusing on the church, how to improve the church, not to how to destroy the church. He should be thinking about the churches that are converted to mosques in, in Turkey, uh, Sophia. And then he should be thinking about the patriarch who was kicked out of his office from Baghdad by, by the government. He, that, that people are being killed. He shouldn't be focusing on LGBT or, or climate control. That's not his business. He, principal, school principal should be focusing on school, how to improve the students' achievement. He is not. He is, it looks to me that he is brought and put in there to destroy the church, not to help the church. I appreciate it. And that's my comment. Thank, thank you the for the call, Mark. Everywhere are, be, are being sold and converted to bars, to restaurants, to, to mosques. Where is he? Why don't you think about that? Again, thanks for the call, Mark. I don't know enough, and I, I, I don't know anybody who would, about what what the Pope is being asked to address on a regular basis, what they are doing and not doing. In, in Vatican City, um, certainly what Mark's saying has merit, if if it indeed is the case. But I just I just don't know. Um, again, we want to be kind and and allow them to bless whoever they'd like, so long as they're not condoning behavior that flies in the face of the very religion that they are supposed to be the the beacon of. It's an interesting one, Dave. How about text messages? I know you got a few coming, and I want to ignore them. 
Yeah, we do have a few text messages coming in. Uh, somebody says uh, that one of the people that was on the radio earlier said that a head of lettuce is more expensive than a $4 meal uh, at a fast food restaurant. That is a lie. It's a lie that a head of lettuce costs $1.59. It used to cost $0.99. Cents. The problem is that parents who are charged with taking care of their children are too lazy to actually prepare fresh vegetables and fruit for their children. It would involve them slicing up apples and actually physically making the salad. It's not that hard, but they just don't do it. Yeah, I suppose that could be true to some degree. I don't want to call anybody out on this because I think that the the, the context of what Eben was was suggesting in that study, and I've seen similar ones. When you get out into to certain parts of our country, especially into the very rural parts, oftentimes transportation alone is such a, a hard thing to get fresh produce to that you end up paying a fortune for normal produce, a head of lettuce, a bag full of carrots, you know, certainly the more exotic things like, for example, avocado or kiwi or some of the things that are kind of trendy to feed young kids now. So there there are scenarios, and you do see this in, in, in many of the urban communities in the inner city, where it is easier, more efficient, and oftentimes is cheaper to go buy a $1 cheeseburger at your favorite fast food joint than buy something and take it home and chop it up, or at least the prices are fairly equitable. And certainly... There's a lot to be said about the addictive nature of those foods. Several people have come out now from big, big agriculture companies and and blown the whistle on them and said, look, I, I refuse to be part of this kind of circular process whereby I am putting more chemicals into this product, more MSG, more fillers, knowing that it's creating a response, an insulin response that leads to a brain response that creates feelings of craving and addiction. Right. One more text from uh, Bob in St. Clair Shores. He says he would like to enlighten you on what causes diet, the diabetes outbreak in America. It was the 1992 government eating right food pyramid that told everybody don't eat fat, don't eat any fat, but eat a whole bunch of carbs. There's no essential vitamin or supplement or supplement of the human body needs for carbs. And there are essential fats. So if you want to know what caused the outbreak of type two diabetes, in uh, in overweight children, it was the government food pyramid. I do not re- remember this 1992 government food uh, pyramid that he's speaking of. But well, I'll tell you uh, what, Rieger, it's still on the wall in a lot of places. And Bob would be surprised to know that he and I are very simpatico on that. I think that the the standard American diet, also called the SAD diet, is one of the things that really high qualified longevity doctors, uh, Peter Atia and a lot of other real geniuses when it comes to longevity, have pointed out was the was the beginning of the end. And as a once-a-day eater who dot, doesn't really do a lot of carbs and, and kind of semi-carnivorish a lot of the time, I actually agree with Bob wholeheartedly. But you're never going to change everybody's mind on that one. All right, listen, we'll be back in just a few minutes. We have a great um, interview with Nicole Ambrose about the Trump widening gap. And then we'll, we'll take some calls on that again, 800-859-0957. Let your voice be heard today. Well, welcome back into the program. As we have seen now in the news almost nonstop, the numbers continue to come in and we are seeing – Former President Donald Trump's numbers and, and lead just continue to widen in, in many of the, the states. Uh, majorities all over the place now in, in Georgia, even in Michigan, where he lost by 155,000 votes. So not only within the GOP, uh, his lead continues to widen, but nationally, even in the hypotheticals, it continues to expand despite all of the trouble that he's had on, on the personal front. And joining us is Maryland National Committee woman, uh, Nicole Ambrose, Fox News strategist also. Nicole, thanks for joining the program. What's your take on all this as you continue to see it unfold? Great to be with you. Well, I think I, I actually trace this back. You know, you, you see Trump's lead grow by double digits, even just since November, right? I mean, he's gained another 10 to 15 points over the holiday season when people generally don't pay that much attention to politics. So the big question is why? And I trace it back. I look at even this summer, you had polls where Trump would win in every category, the economy, who would do best, Trump, you know, the border, who would do best, Trump. But when it would get to the question of who is the most electable or who can beat Joe Biden? That is where DeSantis back this summer would win that one question. And I think now that people have gotten kind of more comfortable with this partisan, um, these partisan legal battles going on in these deep blue cities, now that people feel uh, they understand that a little bit better. Plus, now that you see these polls where Donald Trump is beating Joe Biden by four points, which is beyond the margin of error. 
kind of takes care of the electability issue. So if you had GOP voters out there saying, I just want to win. Um, but, you know, I, will people vote for Trump in the general? I'm not sure. Or, um, you know, can Trump beat Joe Biden? Now that they see him beating the sitting president by more than four points, I think that's why you're seeing these extra 10 to 15 points of gravitation towards Donald Trump in the GOP tri- primary. Yeah. And from a strategy standpoint, Nicole, what as you look at him not making these appearances in the debates, certainly these people have all been, you know, DeSantis, Haley, and, and even Christie, especially in the last one, have been very much cannibalizing one another. And yes. you know, there's mockery going on on their end for him not showing up. But it almost seems like that was, in arrears, a very smart move because he separated himself so far from them. It's almost like the elephant in the room all the time that this is all for, it's a charade. There, none of them really stand a chance of, of winning that, that uh, primary. Well, I'm really grateful that we've had these Republican debates and grateful that you, you know, we have a great party with a great bench with all these folks out there who had um, debates and could get their opinions across and that Americans could hear what it's like to be a Republican and hear people explain it in different ways. I think all that is very good for the party. But yes, Trump's lead continued to grow. I understand if you're on you know, the Trump campaign, you're saying, okay, I'm so far in the lead. If I'm leading, you know, the field by 50%, why would I show up? Um, Now the debates are over. He's nearly at 70%, according to the latest Fox poll and, and, you know, in the 60s and pretty much every poll out there in December. So it's all working out very well for him. But I think um, this is where Donald Trump has got to pull out um, his you know, one of his best skills, which is marketing and PR, because it's going to be entirely up to him to continue to define what's going on with these different legal cases, try to simplify it, boil it down as much as possible. Um, and at the same time, just make clear to America, you know, were you better off under my presidency? Absolutely. How do you like this 20% inflation you've gotten under Joe Biden at the grocery store? Not very much. Has he made your life harder? Yes. Can we fix this? Yes. So he's got to use his uh, great marketing and PR skills to to help us turn the ship around. In 2020, we had a very emotional race, right? People were locked in their homes. They didn't get out much. For the most part, aside from COVID, their lives had been going so well under the Trump presidency. Um, And so now, if, if the president seals the deal and closes out this nomination, um, it is just up. He, he's got to continue with that great skill set of defining yeah. why a Republican president can make Americans' lives so much better. Sure. And that's an interesting point you just made during during COVID, being locked in, feeling so many of the of the pain points that we had not felt in quite a long time. The, the economics of that become quite clear statistically. What I find fascinating about this race in particular is watching now him emerge as a as a very clear statistical favorite in the in the twenty to thirty age range, which is really not one that we equivalent all of us. We think typically the younger people tend to lean more at least socially liberal, and certainly that wasn't the case four years ago. Those those same twenty five year olds, let's just say, in your estimation, they're not feeling the economics pinch the way that a forty five year old with a few kids would. What? Is there any reason that you can think of that he has suddenly really started emerging as a favorite in that crowd? Actually, I, I, I might counter that one part of the statement. I think if you've graduated from college or you're trying to establish yourself in a career, you are not able to uh, – m- many of these folks are not able to get the job they want under Biden's economy. They certainly can't afford a mortgage to buy a home and start a family under, with 8% interest rates on a home. I mean, Biden has made the American dream unattainable for so many. So if you are lucky enough to already be in a home to you know, have lower interest rates on your car or your house or what have you, you can at least kind of tread water a little bit. But if you were trying to advance yourself, Biden's economy has entirely stopped that. So I think folks, you know, they might have heard, you know, <clears throat> their mom say, I don't like the way he talks or he, you know, says me, has mean tweets. 
But I think most people look at it and say, I'd rather have a mean tweet than not be able to buy a house or perhaps. afford my bills. Nicolie, if you were to put on your other hat, which is not your other hat, but if you were to switch hats for a minute, in terms sure. of the RNC, this this has to underscore then the the work that the Biden campaign has to be doing. Where, where can they start plugging holes? I mean, they're watching this thing start to sink on them and saying, wow, this is really, we are in jeopardy here. What can they do? Um, well, they're challenged because Joe Biden cannot physically get out much. It's been very clear, right? They put a lid on this man's schedule at two o'clock most days if you ever even see him. So, you know, he might have gotten away with that in 2020, running a campaign from a basement and shooting out a few videos and having Obama, you know, share a video every once in a while. I just don't think this is going to work in 2024. People are sick of having a chief executive who cannot do his job, and I don't think they can cover it up anymore. Yeah, and that's something that we can't we can't measure. I mean, we right. uh, I am very reticent to, typically to to tease at all or, or point to simply age or, or, you know, cognitive ability. Clearly there is something there that has, has waned, especially over the last few years. It didn't seem to be all that good four years ago, but mm-hmm. the reality is I think most people must be looking at this to a degree and say, yeah, there's not a huge difference between, you know, 77 and 80 or 82, but clearly there is a difference between the two men in terms of the robustness of the, of their abilities. And is that starting to, even if people don't say that out loud, are they thinking, boy, that is one fragile looking man who's really not making it through um, these press conferences all that well? Well, I, I think everyone can't help but notice it. But I'm going to go back to our youngest voting demographic. And I actually, and this is a really sad commentary, but I believe that Joe Biden's presidency has made our youngest voters very ageist. I think he's really done a disservice to kind of the standing of, you know, older American citizens. As we all know, you can be yeah. very functional and completely mentally able um, as an older American. And sure. uh, I, I just, I mean, my gosh, I have kids we myself agree. and they're terrified of getting old looking at Joe Biden. It's really a sad commentary on our society. <laughs> Absolutely. Nicolee, thanks so much you for your guidance to, and expertise on this matter. We would love to hear from you on this. Is it is it strictly an age issue? Are you is, is it are you being just inundated with so much in the news cycle that you're starting to grow tired of the weaponization of some of these charges up against former President Trump? And is that why it's happening? What's your opinion on this? 800-859-0957. Lines will be open after the break. We'll see you back here in just a few. So good interview there with our, our friend Nicolee about Trump's ever-expanding lead. Um, she tended to like the debate. She said she thought it was healthy that uh, everyone got to see on the national stage these Republicans. It's a very qualified field in a lot of ways, just debate with each other about how they would do things. But you know what? That's not what I saw. I thought most of them, if not all of them, were a bit of a letdown. I'm sick of Ramaswamy's big mouth. You know, Christie sometimes says some of the most poignant things, but he always looks like he's in a panic and he's mad. And one of my buddies the other day said he's just petulant all the time. And Nikki Haley is a is a very accomplished politician, and it shows. But, you know, again, they don't really have a, a shot. I was just in D.C. Rieger uh, last week for my brother's book launch that was on the Hill, and I went to, we went to the American Journalism Institute for a book launch party and then spent a couple of days there in Georgetown. And I got, I've gotten to know over the years a lot of his friends and people in that business and, and met even more. A lot of them, the top journalists in the country. Some of them are editorialists and opinion writers. Others are just straight journalists, some big, big names in the room. And, you know, over beers and, and cocktails and, and, you know, little mini weenies, whatever those things are called with the croissant wrapped around them, which are fabulous, by the way. A lot of them shared the same sentiment. This is, it's not even a race. It's going to be Trump and it's going to be Biden, at least for the moment. It's going to be Biden, you know, barring a an act of God. So this is a very interesting conversation. When we talk about that younger demographic in that, in that kind of 30 and under range, you know, where I, where I totally disagree with, with Nicolee, especially thinking about it through the break is I don't think they're looking at the economy the same way as a 45 or a 55 or a retiree that I deal with all the time is. I don't think 8% for a mortgage is stopping you from having the American dream. And for everything that I don't like about the modern day Democrat, including the, the job Biden's done, it's got very little to do, frankly, with the economy. I don't think he owns the economy. I think the economy right now is a byproduct of all the statistics that led us here. 
massive overborrowing, starting with W. Bush, going all through the Obama years in some in some form because he had to to right the ship in the recession. Trump said he would stop it. He didn't. They all artificially suppressed interest rates to the point where now we have what you would call recency bias. I got used to, I got conditioned to a two or three percent mortgage rate. That's insanity. Most of the people listening to this station right now hearing my voice, many of whom are 60 and up, their first mortgage was 12, 14, 16 percent. Seven or eight percent for a mortgage does not stop you from buying a house. Is it less attractive than it was two years ago? Yeah, of course. But the, the scenario that we find ourselves in now is not because Biden walked into office and made suddenly whiplash decisions that have thrust our economy into a tailspin. Our economy is in a tailspin because we borrowed $34 trillion worth of money we don't have. We artificially made money so easy to borrow that anybody could get their hands on it and pay practically nothing. And now all of those chickens are coming home to roost. He's got some role in it, but it certainly is not Biden's economy. He doesn't own this. Just the same way that that Trump in many ways benefited from an economy that was on the tail end of Obama's presidency, where a lot of quantitative easing put us in a position where you had economic growth. It's not fair to give somebody credit for something that they didn't entirely do, and then also give someone else blame for something that they didn't entirely cause. It kind of reminds we, me of um, the uh, the housing uh, the housing uh, crash there with the Freddie Mac and uh, Fannie yeah. Mae and the uh, the, mor- the mortgages that you had these people getting these making $40,000 a year that were taking off $300,000 mortgages. And then the balloon came due and yeah. uh, it just crashed everything. It's the B it could be th- this way forever and ever. It can- Look, Harry Dent, the economist who was one of the only people to really predict the 08 thing early on, he has a big piece on Fox today about how he thinks 24 will be the biggest recession or really depression of our lifetimes. Really? No, it only takes an economist once of being right to point and say, well, I predicted that because economists job are to primarily be wrong with their big predictions, but they gather stats and they disseminate the data and they say, look, this is, this is what we're in for. And that could be the case. The interesting thing right now, and I, I do, a, I, I hope a very good job of segregating my, my personal career as a, as a financial person from the, the radio side of my life. It is a great time to be in, in fixed guaranteed investments, CDs, annuity contracts, treasuries, all these things that protect you from, the downside, you could be the person, if you are, you know, the tinfoil hat type that thinks the whole thing's going to crumble, who ends up being right. And when it crumbles and everyone else spends 10, 15 years making back what they lost, you have all of your money. And you can go and buy everything you ever wanted in the stock market and everywhere else on clearance sale. Right. That's what turns someone that, you know, that has a $200,000 retirement account into this person with $2 million. That's what happened post 08. But the problem is if you're too busy making back what you lost, you can't really make much new money. If you want to go after Biden, by the way, go after him personally on doing the most horrific job with the border crisis that we've ever seen. Oh, we see it. Every, we see it every day. Uh, video. Unbelievable. That is something that Trump did have under control, like him, hate him anywhere in between. The man did exactly what he said he was going to do, which was really not that different, frankly, than what Obama promised to do with building a wall and, and bolstering security. But Trump actually did it. And those numbers went way, way, way down. And so did crime in all those adjacent cities. And now, whatever possessed his cabinet to approve opening that thing like a massive sieve has caused a crisis that's leached into some of the biggest sanctuary cities. Even they're crying for mercy. Blame him for that because that's an abject disaster. Are you going to blame the man for being 80-something years old and, and not being able to finish sentences? I don't think blame is the right word. But I find it shocking that the Democrats haven't already decided, you know what, this is not going to end well. If you put that guy on a stage with Donald Trump here in what a handful of months, he's going to get absolutely crucified. He can't have a debate because he can't have one. It will look silly and foolish. And for all the things that um, I'm sorry, do you think that if do you think that if uh, if it ends up being Biden versus Trump again. Do you think that Trump actually would show up to a debate with Biden? I don't think he has a choice. If he, I, I don't. That's a good question. I mean, legally, does he have an obligation to? I don't I think, think he has so. to legally. I, I but think you can I just mean, ignore that. Yeah. I I don't think. Well, look, if you're him, that's not even a fair fight. That's Mike Tyson against a sixth grader. <laughs> right. Verbal. 
It's just not, it's not fair. <laughs> like you don't even have to like Trump to, to recognize that the man has, he knows what he's trying to say. The shock value sometimes of what he has to say is his art form. You can't compete with him verbally if you're Joe Biden. And, and Trump is going to point to the current economy and say, wasn't it better under me? Yes, it was better under him. We experienced something better, but it's not because he did it. He helped it, but he didn't do it. I'm going to get into that with Renwick. I know there, there's no one I love to fight with more than Renwick. You know, that's not Mike Tyson versus a sixth grader, but it's kind of like, I don't know. I'll think of a good analogy by the time he gets on the air. All right, back in just a minute with Renwick. Okay, we're at the finish line. One last segment, and I'm out of here until tomorrow morning when I'm lucky enough to sit in here for Paul again. I hope you all enjoy it out there. We got a little fire today on some things and had great talk with all of you. You know, the texts were coming in a little bit. We couldn't get to all of them. I got one interesting one from a buddy of mine that I respect um, for his intellect, and he just he wrote me, and just don't forget that when all these folks were paying 12%, uh, to buy a house way back when they were moving into safe neighborhoods and they're surrounded by other like-minded people that cared about them and their property. And the standard of living has indeed gotten so high that everybody now is at an unsustainable level. I mean, if you're 25 or 30 years old and you're thinking you need to be able to buy this house and put a flat screen on every wall and have an SUV in there and a country club membership and so on and so forth, if that's your demand and you're, you're feeling let down by your government because of 8% mortgages, your priorities are wrong. You're not at that stage in your life yet where we've gotten too big for our britches in a lot of these ways. So it's not like I, I don't find fault with the Biden administration and some of what they've done economically. I just refuse to be disingenuous and lay blame entirely on the lap of those to whom it doesn't belong. Chris Renwick, are you with me today? Hey, what's up, dude? Hi, pal. How are you? I'm good. Busy, busy lead up here to Christmas. It's a scramble. Look at you. You're an honest guy. It's one of the things I love about you. Since since years ago when we started working together, you, you've never been anything but honest. You're more fiery than I am. But let me ask you a question. Yeah. There's a lot of things you can blame on Donald Trump, and there's mm-hmm. a lot of things you can give Trump credit for, and there's mm-hmm. a lot of things you can blame right now on, on President Biden. Do you lay this economy on President Biden's lap? I believe that— I'm not talking about as a contributing factor. I'm saying this Biden's economy—does he own— inflation no inflation well, didn't happen yesterday no 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 of course not i i think it's no i i don't know that anything is one president's fault um i think like you mentioned there are contributing factors i think this administration didn't catch that inflation was rising as quickly as it was and they let it slide and i think that is a huge contributing factor but no i i, I think that it's a political talking point. I think there are certain elements that you can be blamed for, but no, this is, it's, it's like a snowball. You just roll it and it gets bigger and bigger and bigger. And from president to president, um, there are decisions that are made along the way that impact those down the road. So no, I don't think that it's completely Joe Biden's fault. I think he do bear, he does bear some of the blame, but no, not entirely. Well, you gotta, you're always going to bear some of the blame, and you're always going to be able to, if you do a good job, point to the things that you, you at least started, which is the, one of the hard parts about being a president. And that's why we don't have term limits in, in the legislative branches, because oftentimes it takes so long. Correct. The maturation process for these things is not four years a lot of the time. But can I, can right? I, so they, you, let me throw this in here. What I absolutely detest, what I hate is when somebody goes, well, it wasn't me, it was so-and-so. It wasn't me, it was Donald Trump. No, no, no. You took the job. You wanted this job. Part of the part of your job is to take the slings and arrows. So don't don't pass the buck when things are going badly and then and then talk about Bidenomics when you think things are good. It, well, it would be okay to pass the buck to a degree if they ever put that in the other hand and also gave credit which they don't right? i mean we we've seen this now for de- for decades literally no one ever gives credit to past administrations because it's so hyper bipartisan or hyper partisan rather there is no bipartisanship left right i mean think about even the, the really easily grabbable examples from not that long ago a lot of the reason bin laden was taken down was because of the same things the w put in place in terms of you know foreign policy groups a lot of a lot of which obama ran on saying this is inhumane and we're not going to torture people and this mm-hmm. kind of research and this kind of surveillance can't happen but he used all those things and then took all the credit for getting bin laden you never saw him up there saying you know what in retrospect w had a really hard run here and for all of his failings this is a success that i'm going to share with him i need to hold the medal up no. with him <laughs> right po- political suicide 
and on and on and on it goes. And we see the, the constant manipulation. Like I just spent uh, the week out in D.C. with my brother for his book launch, a lot of which had to do with, uh, you know, the Trump administration really owning the Christian right and using that as a manipulation tool. And you can see, and especially in the journalist's eyes, that this is something they want to harp on. But we've watched now for 40 years the Democrats constantly hoodwink and manipulate the black community into voting for them and doing nothing on the tail end to make their lives better. Well, look, p- part of that is, I mean, if you're a voter, right, it w- I, I, I often hate lumping voters of one group in with each other. But y- you, you're the voter. The responsibility lies on your shoulders. Just because the narrative is that a certain group of people vote a certain way doesn't mean that you have to vote that way either. Th- th- that's the laziness of our, of our American electorate in a lot of cases. It's yeah. it's that look, people don't do the due diligence to find out what what these politicians believe in, what their what their moral compass is. One of these days, I want to have a debate with you as a guy that I think would really oh. enjoy this one. On is a no vote a vote? Absolutely. And I, I well, maybe it's not much of a debate then. <laughs> I have the, I, I do this well with people all the time. I feel like we're going into a no win scenario. I do not either want either of these men to run the country which is not a popular sentiment, frankly, among either of my groups of friends. I, I fall in the weirdest little libertarian, you know, hole in between everybody. And I, I want to see the merits of people when they work hard. Even if I disagree with them philo- philosophically, they're not my enemy. But you know what? I, y- you do fall in line with those that participate in the latest Siena poll that show that, okay, Donald Trump would be Joe Biden head up today. But if you take either of those candidates and submit just random faceless, nameless Republican or Democrat, they would beat their counterpart. It's it, yeah. it, it is the popular. At least there is a segment of people out there that do that, that do think like you. They don't want either of these guys to run the country. But many of them will just go and vote for the lesser of two, two evils. evils absolutely. Mind, right. And we have alarmingly when you when you step back and just say, forget about the debates and what's being said. This is one of the most talented class of Republican GOP nominees we've seen in quite some time, none of which will really see the light of day come the primary. At least this year. I mean, well, maybe uh, in the next four years. That's but the not year now. we're in. That's, right. where, that's the trickiness of this yep. scenario is if I say, well, I just refuse to vote that I'm not going to do that to my, I'm not going to subordinate myself and, you know, go against my morals to vote for either person, both of whom I find morally not really um, meritorious of being in yeah. that position. Well, look, he, he, you talk about is a no vote a vote. We are seeing in numbers, and I'm going to do a little bit of it today with the a new NBC News report came out that said that major, a, a huge faction of young voters are not going to vote for Joe Biden again. And if you just – and look, I don't anticipate they would vote for Donald Trump, but if you just don't participate, that is a huge segment of – of Joe Biden's base in 2020 that voted for him that carried him in a lot of these particularly yeah. battleground states like Michigan. If you don't vote, Joe Biden is going to suffer. Same thing with a lot of the the Arab communities that we are seeing here like in Dearborn. They are saying, "Look, because you are not taking hardline stances against Israel, we're not going to vote for you." Well, you have that right and that the ability to exercise your right to vote or not, but those those votes or non-votes do have consequences. Yeah, I suppose they do. And this is something you could never quantify because you could no, legitimately true. say there's going to be a faction of people who choose to be no vote. And those no vote people actually purify the base to the degree that you're only having issue voters then who are actually committed sure. to a certain party or platform. And maybe that's what we need. But who knows? I mean, that's a, it's an infinite regress. We, w- we might never know. Yeah. Hey, did you know I'm in here for the rest of the week? I can't wait, man. It's it great was my, to hear it you. was my birthday present from Paul. My birthday was yesterday. Thanks for nothing, oh. by the way. Gift wise, uh, it's uh, it, it's stuck in Amazon somewhere. There, it's just late, late, late. <laughs> Listen, I'll believe it when I see it. I hope you have a fabulous show today. You got to keep man. your blood pressure under control. I do my we best. Had some really good stuff today. With we talked about obesity. We talked about the Pope. You know, blessing the same-sex marriage. Oh, yeah. We had a really good call on some of the Trump stuff. We got a lot of callers. Sweet. Too. I'm going to work on callers all week. It's just so much more fun when we talk as a community. I know. You got to talk. You got to talk to people. Right on. Amen. Listen, have a fantastic show. I'll check in with you again tomorrow. All right, man. Sounds good. See ya.